You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert, and award-winning author, Amy Shojai. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shojai. And today we're talking about your cats and dogs and sex. Yes, now folks, that brings me to my rant of the week. It's spring! Romance is in the air! And when Fido and Sheba take the notion to indulge in hanky-panky, they'll pick the lock with their rabies tags and shimmy out the window to look for that love connection. As a result, countless cats and dogs will celebrate this Mother's Day littering your home with unwanted offspring that will be lucky to escape with their lives. Why? Because I want my kids to experience the miracle of birth, or I want a pup kitten just like Fluffy, or he's a purebred and I'll make money at it, oh, and on and on and on. Believe me, we've heard them all. But sometimes owners with the very best of intentions simply wait too long and end up with a whoops litter. So today I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Lila Miller, the Vice President of Veterinary Outreach at the ASPCA. She is the past president and a founder of the Association of Shelter Veterinarians. And Dr. Miller knows everything you ever wanted to know about pet sex, but we're afraid to ask. So we'll be right back and ask those behavioral physical and romantical questions after these messages okay time to call off the dogs pet peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast mice crispies of course Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. And who's this traveling with us today? This is Bailey. She's never flown Midwest Airlines before. Hi, Bailey. <coughs> She'll be fine. We take special care of our traveling pets. In fact, our premier pet program was created by an employee and dog lover who believes that pets should be handled as precious cargo. And they are. Oh, and they earn travel rewards, too. Oh, good. Thanks for flying Midwest Airlines, Bailey. Enjoy your flight. Visit MidwestAirlines.com. 
Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly Hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. And we're talking with Dr. Lila Miller of the ASPCA, who is an expert on the benefits of spaying and neutering your companion animals. Welcome to the show, Dr. Miller. Well, thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, before we um, kind of jump in with all four paws, uh, I'd like to have listeners learn a little bit about yourself. What companion animals do you have? What cats? What dogs? I have a couple of cats, uh, Mr. Rusty and Miss Coco, who rule my life and my household. And uh, in the past, I've, I've had cats. I've, I've had a very busy career working with the ASPCA, so I don't have a house full of uh, animals, but certainly the ones that I do have keep me on my toes. <laughs> well, I know folks will ask me, and when I tell them, oh, I have one dog and one cat, they're always surprised. And I said, well, you know, the folks that do this kind of a lot and for a living, we know better <laughs> oftentimes. And also when you when you live in an apartment and you are if you if you got a house with a backyard you can have like a little doggy door and your dog can go out and relieve himself. But when you're in an apartment and you're confined to walking, you know, twice a day and sometimes three times a day, it really is not fair to to, to have a lot of animals that are sitting home waiting for you to show up. Absolutely. They're crossing their little legs and their eyes are turning yellow. So <laughs> exactly. it's uh, well, let's let's get serious here for a minute. Um, for folks who maybe are a little concerned about this whole process, I mean, major surgery on on my beloved little pet here. What's involved in the surgery for uh, spaying and neutering a dog or a cat? You know, it's one of the most common procedures that veterinarians perform, and every veterinarian that's involved in a private practice setting is doing spaying and neutering. So I, I think that should give us a, a level of comfort and that, you know, the more we do procedures, the better we are at it. And it's just as if you were going in to have a major surgical procedure done with your doctor, you're going to look for somebody who's done a lot of them. And most veterinarians, in fact, have done a lot of them. So I think uh, we should at least not be so concerned on that level and recognize that it, in female animals, it is major abdominal surgery and the animals are going to be placed under general anesthesia in order for it to be performed. Uh, it's less major in male animals, but they still will be utilizing uh, general anesthesia in order to do it. And depending on the age of your animal, it may be necessary to do some pre-surgical anesthetic uh, 
screening to make sure that there's nothing abnormal happening with your animal that general anesthesia might bring to the surface. So certainly there's some minor screening tests that your veterinarian might uh, prescribe if you're doing it on a very young animal. And if you're doing it on an animal that's older, they may want to do a, a, a bigger range of, of tests to make sure that it's safe. So we are going to be taking every precaution to make sure that your pet comes through the surgery safely. We've got very good anesthetic drugs that have a very high margin of safety. So we're not concerned about anesthetic risk as much as we used to be, say, maybe 20 years ago. Um, we've refined the procedures. We're even doing them laparoscopically now, so it's to a very small hole. And that's a fairly new procedure for veterinarians, but certainly it's less invasive. So um, it is major surgery, but I think that we should have a comfort level, especially when we do sort of a, a risk-benefit analysis of, what, of what we're, why we're doing it and right. recognizing that in performing these surgeries at a younger age, we're going to prevent some really serious problems that will turn up further you know, down the road as our animals age. So, so with the surgery, basically we're removing the reproductive uh, organs, the, the testicles in the male and the ovaries and female. uterus in the female. Correct. And you know, by doing that, we've found, and, and we've done a lot more research on this in the past, you know, 10 or 15 years than it's ever been done, and recognize that we've been spaying and neutering animals for centuries now. It's one of the most commonly performed procedures ever. So a lot of, lot of experience has gone into it. And we recognize now that when we spay an animal, a female animal, before she's had her first heat, we reduce the incidence of mammary gland uh, cancer when that animal becomes older. And certainly, uh, it's a life-threatening illness, a life-threatening condition when that animal is at an older age. Much uh, better to do the surgery that's simpler, it's cleaner, it's effective, it's fast, and it's going to prevent some really serious problems later down the road. One of the other things that we see in female animals as they get older are infections of the uterus called pyometras, and those are really life-threatening. And again, removing that uterus at an earlier age is certainly better for the animal than having to do it when the animal not only has this condition, but they're very, very sick. So this this goes beyond just population control. It's not a matter of why don't we just tie their tubes or give the doggy a you know, vasectomy. Right, and, and that question has come up. But what we know is that uh, by removing the estrogen levels from, from the female animals, that's one of the reasons why we don't see the pyometras, and it's one of the reasons why we don't see the breast cancer. With male animals, if you just tie, you know, do a vasectomy, they're still going to be producing testosterone, which is going to contribute to them getting prostate problems as they get older, contribute, they can still get testicular cancer. And some of the objectionable behaviors that neutering will, will lessen, if not remove, are still going to be there if the testosterone is still there. So um, vasectomy is not going to be as effective in terms of making your pet a better, a better citizen, if you want to say, say right. it that way. What are some of the arguments that, that you hear against doing it? I mean, um, you know, I, oh. I want my dog to be macho. I want him to guard the right. house, that kind of thing. Yeah, and um, we recognize that, that dogs that um, are neutered are still good watchdogs. They still have their protective instincts. But what they're not doing is that they're much less likely to be humping the furniture and marking and spraying, uh, you know, urine all over the place. 
And I think the thing that we don't recognize is that by leaving our animals intact or not staying and neutering them, um, they want to breed. So what we're doing, in fact, is we're sending them to a life of sexual frustration because they've got these hormonal hormonal urges to breed, and we're suppressing that by not letting them breed. So we've got animals that are sexually frustrated. You know, if we remove the estrogen and the testosterone, they're, they're not thinking about it. They're not concerned about it. Being a perpetual teenager is just, <laughs> that's a horror. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like you're constantly, you know, every time a female animal comes into heat, she wants to be bred. So that's why you have female cats that exhibit all the behavioral manifestations of an animal that they're yowling, they're, they almost seem like they're in pain, they're trying to get out, they're trying to mate. Once you spay them, they, they don't go through that any longer. So you're actually making your, your pet happier by, by not sending them them to this life of of seeking a mate and seeking um, sex. So I'm particularly for men who really seem to identify very closely with, in, in many cases, with their male animals and don't want to have them neutered because they wouldn't want to do that to their best friend. It's saying to them, yes, but you're not letting your best friend go out and breed and, and mate with other animals. At least we hope we're not doing that. Right, but right. you are, in fact, frustrating him by leaving him intact and not allowing him to do that. Well, and I know with the, uh, with the cats, I, I interviewed Dr. Susan a little not too long ago, who is a feline reproduction specialist, and right. commented, commented that with cats in particular, um, they are reproduction machines that were just brilliantly designed, and right. it's, it's an unnatural state to leave them intact and not allow them to breed. And there's all kinds of, you know, besides the uh, emotional angst involved, <laughs> all kinds of, of health risk. Uh, I mean, cats can't really die from it. They, they can become very, very sick. Um, so I think there's, there's some real issues there. Uh, and as you were mentioning, the, the health benefits, too. I uh, believe she mentioned a new study saying that spaying, neutering cats actually reduces not only the incidence of mammary gland uh, cancers, but also of asthma and lower urinary tract diseases, which amazed well, me. We are developing, uh, I mean, there's research going on all the time that is showing us more and more health benefits. And again, anytime you're looking at doing a procedure, you're going to weigh what are the benefits and what are the risks. And certainly the benefits far outweigh the risks. You know, I'd say probably the major concern that any pet owner might have would be for anesthetic death. And as I said, we have such great drugs right now that that's really extremely rare. And what we've seen in, in some of the um, younger animals, if we spay them at a very young age, which the shelters will typically do, that occasionally we will see an increased incidence of urinary um, incontinence. But that's treatable, and certainly um, it's it's a much better uh, problem to have to deal with than, say, again, the breast cancer, the um, the um, infections in the uterus and all the other things that are typically life-threatening. So, yeah, the the benefits far outweigh the risks. And the things that I hear about, yes, I want my, my child to see the miracle of birth, um, it, it's just not a valid reason to have animals that you can't find homes for that end up in a shelter and end up being euthanized. And, 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 and even if need- you can, even if you can find animals for this particular litter, um, I'm always concerned, well, you know, those are homes that might otherwise have adopted 
an animal right. from the shelter or gotten from a professional breeder in a breeding program or, right. you know, some other really relevant place. So um, let, let me take a break here for our sponsors and we'll continue our sexy discussion in okay. just a few minutes. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Attention passengers, please fasten your seatbelts, put your seatbacks and sleeping pets in their full upright position, and prepare for takeoff. Pet Life Radio presents Travel Tales, the show where you'll get great travel ideas on perfect places for you and your pet. From Paris to paradise, south of the border to the South Seas, Travel Tales will give you cool tips on fun vacation destinations to travel with your pet, pet-friendly hotels, and advice on how to travel safely and happily with your furry best friends. So, get ready to pack the bags and the bones with your Travel Tales hosts, Susan Sims and Nicholas Veslowski, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Ready to take a walk? Not just you, but your whole family. It's the 2008 Whisker Walk. Sunday, June 8th from 9 to 4 at the Lancaster Fairground in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Pet owners and animal lovers walk to lend a paw to benefit the animal shelters and pet charities they love. Come see exhibits, demonstrations, educational programs, special attractions, product giveaways, entertainment, auctions, raffles, food fun, and things for adults and kids to see, do, and buy, both human and pet-related. Whisker Walk 2008, a fun day for everyone. For more information, log on to whiskerwalk.org. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves, so here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. All right, now we're back and speaking with Dr. Lila Miller, the Vice President of Veterinary Outreach for the ASPCA and a past president and founder of the Association of Shelter Veterinarians. Now, Dr. Miller is also a writer and author. She edited the first textbook on shelter medicine called Shelter Medicine for Veterinarians and Staff. 
and she's also a contributing writer for several magazines of the Pet Press. Welcome back, Dr. Miller. Thank you. Let's go back here. I wanted to touch base with you on, uh, we talked about all of these wonderful health benefits and behavioral benefits if we spay or neuter our pets before sexual maturity. So what is that age? How soon, what age can a cat or a dog become pregnant or sire litter, or, or a cat for that matter? I know those are different. Well, yeah, you know, and it's very interesting because most people aren't aware of that, and that's how they end up having those accidental oops litters when they when they always mean to get their pets spayed or neutered, but they think they have lots of time. And traditionally, we always thought it was six months was the age at which they reach sexual maturity. And we actually know that in cats, they can actually go into their first heat as young as four months of age. Wow. But certainly, most of us are not thinking about that. And, and when we talk about dogs, there's a, there's a huge range of ages. And some of the, the large breed animals, in fact, don't reach sexual maturity until they're almost a year and a half. So if we want to catch animals before that first heat or before they reach sexual maturity, we need to do it at six months or under. So it's sort of always been traditionally thought that six months was the best age. But certainly when we start looking at anesthesia and we start looking at recovery rates and so on and so forth, younger animals actually bounce back from the surgery much more quickly. They seem to have less pain. They seem to, um, the anesthetic drugs seem to be eliminated from their bodies much more quickly. So in fact, these animals that are done when they're four months of age, a lot of them are up and walking around an hour after, you know, they've, the surgery's been completed, where with older animals, it may be several hours before they wake up. So, so, so the, um, what, what would you say is the ideal age then? I would say doing it at three to four months of age would really be what I would certainly recommend um, okay. for, for most clients. I know a lot of the shelters now I've, I've talked to do it um, as early as six weeks or two pounds. I guess it depends on how small the veterinarian's hands are. Right. It depends on what what the veterinarian's comfort level is. But yeah, they, we've done we've had studies from as far back as 1990 that showed that it in fact was safe to perform it in animals that were six weeks of age, and one to two pounds. And the the reason that the shelters do that is that that's at the age at which a lot of times they adopt animals out is about eight weeks of age. And what they used to do was adopt the animals out and then ask people to bring them back to get them spayed and neutered. And most people didn't, in fact, do that. So they would forget, they'd get busy, it would just slip their minds. And, in fact, we would find that sometimes shelters would adopt animals out to people, and then those people would bring litters from those animals back to the shelter. And the shelters oh, were contributing to the problem by releasing intact animals. And certainly you can imagine... The uh, how labor-intensive it is to try to call each person after they've adopted an animal and try to, you know, convince them to come back in to get the surgery performed. So that's why the shelters, in fact, started doing it at such a young age. But it's not exclusive to shelters. So, uh, you know, if you, if you have a young animal, you can talk with your local veterinarian about this as well. Absolutely. And I, I would say that to, you know, the typical uh, owner or even the veterinarian in practice is that the best time to do it is when the animal comes in for their last vaccination. So when you're doing a vaccination series, and typically we recommend that you come in at 8 weeks and then again at 12 weeks and sometimes at 16 weeks at that last vaccination, schedule the surgery right then and there so that it's not another visit that the person has to, uh, you know, schedule into their busy, you know, lives. It's like I'm already here for the last shot. 
leave them here. And with these younger animals, uh, if they come in in the morning, they can even pick them up the same day. I spoke with, um, I'm on a um, health list for cat breeders as well, and I posed some questions there, got some uh, feedback, and it's, it was initially amazing to me the large number of professional breeders that are also signing on to the uh, pediatric surgeries because for the same reasons as shelters, they don't want to release pet kittens to people who are then going to breed indiscriminately. They want them fixed, and it takes the burden off of the new owner. But, you know, for professional breeders also, they, you know, they, if you're a responsible breeder, you know what, you know, your animal's um, genetic problems may or may not be. You really don't want people out there indiscriminately breeding animals, which may have genetic defects and may have other problems. Or that we, we think, you know, it's very easy when you tell your friends, oh, I'm going to breed Fluffy, do you want one of Fluffy's puppies? And everybody says yes, but then when you show up on the doorstep and they <laughs> start thinking about, what that, you know, involves. And we tell people that, you know, pet ownership entails a huge responsibility. You know, we should not, you know, view animals as being disposable because they don't fit into our lifestyle. And we may not actually recognize how much it's going to cost to pay for food, pay for, you know, the litter, for, you know, the litter boxes, for health care for the animal. If you go on vacation, are, you know, are you going to take the animal with you? Are you going to have to put them in a boarding facility? Are you going to have to pay a pet sitter to come in? You know, if there are, are problems that you're having with the animal, you may have to go to a professional trainer, things like that. There are financial responsibilities as, as well as the impact on, on your daily lifestyle. So people will very, you know, easily say, to you, oh, yes, I'd love to have one of Fluffy's offspring. But then when they actually show up at the door, right. um, they start saying something a little bit different. Well, uh, with the um, the issues of the pediatric um, spay-neuter, uh, there, there are some differences in the animal's um, development when they are uh, neutered or sterilized at these early ages. What are some of those? Well, you know what we the the interesting thing is that the differences that we found don't seem to have any clinical significance. There, it was this misconception for years that animals that were spayed and, and neutered at an earlier age would actually have stunted growth, and we actually know it's the opposite. There's just a very slight difference in um, the length of the the long bones, but we don't find any significance to that. We find that some of the secondary sexual characteristics like breast development um, is just not there or the area around the vulva doesn't develop as fully. But again, we're not breeding these animals and there's no clinical significance to these problems. Probably one of the most significant things that some of the research has indicated that if you do female animals before three months of age, you may see an increased risk of the incontinence problem I mentioned earlier. So we just simply say, do it at four, four or five months. But okay, and that's of, in the dogs. That's in, in the dogs. dogs. Right, just mm-hmm. in dogs. And so we don't see any other um, clinically significant differences that would make me hesitate to say, you know, do to do an animal at three months as opposed to waiting until it's a year of age. I think the, the benefits far outweigh the difference that we see in the, the length of the long bones. Or, okay. you know, there's always been this conception that animals that are spayed and neutered uh, get fat. And we recognize that there's lots of contributing factors to why animals are overweight. And some of the evidence has indicated that, in fact, spayed and neutered animals 
do have a tendency to gain more weight. But it's like anything else, like with people, that means you have to reduce the caloric intake and increase their exercise levels. And there's certainly lots of very fit um, spayed and neutered animals out there. So it's, there's no automatic spay and neuter your animal is going to get fat and lazy. That's, that's yeah, I don't have that excuse myself. So that's I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, any of these changes are going to be more cosmetic than anything else. So, get leggier, they get taller. Perhaps you know that's not going to matter so much in your kitty cats, in in your dogs, if they're performance dogs. I know some of the people in the performance fields are concerned about the development of the the musculature, the possibly. Um, I think there were some issues or concerns about some sort of bone fracture issues. There's, you know, there, there's ongoing research into a lot of these problems because it's very difficult to say if an, if an animal was spayed in an earlier age. Now we're seeing more um, anterior cruciate ruptures, an association with hip dysplasia, so on and so forth. We, we're, we don't know that it's a direct result. So there's ongoing research on that. But what the evidence we have right now, again, is that it's, it's very minor um, changes that we're seeing that, that we see concern about. And we need more research. Let me back up for a minute and say this. We've been doing this since the 1980s. We've not seen the smoking gun yet. You know, and certainly there's been enough questions raised about pediatric surgery that we've had studies done. We've had long-term studies done at Cornell, and we've had long-term studies done uh, down at uh, Texas A&M. And neither one of those studies, and, and they were retrospective studies that went back several years, in fact, at Cornell, and those studies did not turn up anything that was significant. So, um, and looking at pediatric spaying and neutering as opposed to doing it at any age, uh, we don't have the evidence that the early procedures are resulting in any, any more pathology than, say, doing it at six months or, or one year. Well, because so, the six months, it's still pre-mature animals. So. Right, well, and, and recognize that, that a lot of times that when, when veterinarians are adhering to doing it at six months, they may, in fact, still be doing it pre-pubertally because those animals may not be going into heat until eight, nine, ten months of age. Right. And so often we're guessing at an animal's age. We're looking at the, the teeth, the, the dentition, the confirmation of the animal, size of the animal, and we're, we're making a guesstimate. We don't, we don't get birth certificates on all of our animals. We may certainly get them from breeders, but we don't get them when we get our animals from shelters, um, so on and so forth. So we don't always know the exact age of the animal. Quick question here. Uh, actually, it's a big issue, but I wanted to get your take on the whole issue. I know Pet population control is huge, and it's something that, um, as an issue, continues to divide pet lovers about, you know, how to do it, how, how are we going to make a difference here, particularly when the issue of legislation comes up. What's your take on the mandatory spay-neuter ordinances that seem to be sprouting up across the country these days? Well, the ASPC does not support the concept that you can legislate um, responsible, you know, breeding. We don't believe that there should be a ban, a mandatory ban on breeding. We believe that there are responsible breeders out there who um, should be permitted to do so. Uh, what we are opposed to is irresponsible breeding. We're, we're opposed to, you know, people who really just don't know what they're doing. We're opposed to um, animals that 
um, should be spayed and neutered not being spayed and neutered because either the people don't have the financial capability of paying for it and recognizing that uh, the cost of veterinary care is going up in this country and it is out of reach of some people to go um, and get their animals spayed and neutered and that shouldn't be the case. But we think that um, mandatory spay-neuter bans, we don't have any evidence that that's going to be an effective uh, way of doing it. We do support things like differential licensing fees so that if your animal is spayed or neutered, the licensing will be less than, for example, the cost of um, licensing an animal that's intact. So we think that those types of incentives have a place, but to just say across the board, blanket, um, mandatory ban on breeding. We're not in support of that. I'm so relieved to hear you say that. (laughs) Thank you very much for your time. We we are out of time, but I would like to thank uh, Dr. Miller so much for being on the show, and thank you to the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. Folks, I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio when we will continue this conversation about sex and the single pet and dig deeper in the discussion of the pros and cons of mandatory spay-neuter ordinances. Email me your suggestions, your questions, post me a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. You can get transcripts that way, too purrs and trills and woofs and wags until next time and as spring unfolds please 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 educate yourself about the benefits of freeing your pets from the angst of romance believe me (laughs) her kids will thank you because a pregnant pet can really get peeved that's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.